Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Hi, this is John Christopher, and welcome back to Real Life. Today, we're going out to the Treasure Valley of Boise, Idaho, to talk with one of the top producers there, Troy Owens. Hi, Troy. Are you with us? I am. How are you today? I'm doing great, Troy. Uh, and how is it out there, by the way? Well, today's the first day in a few weeks that we can see the foothills, the mountains. Uh, there's some fires on the West Coast that have been blowing some smoke in here, uh, but it, it blew out last night. So it's actually... Very pretty. Oh, that's great. Now, speaking of uh, a valley, why is it called the Treasure Valley? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I call it the Treasure Valley because it's like a treasure trove of stuff to do here. It, um, a lot of people would call it Boise, and but Boise's the Treasure Valley is made up of Boise, Meridian, and Eagle, Idaho. That's kind of our main market. It's um, it's hard to tell when you go from one one city to the next. Uh, unless you know where the actual city lines are. It's just one big metropolis here, I guess. Um, and the Treasure Valley is Ada, Ada County. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that's the area that uh, you handle pretty much, right? Yes. My business partner and I cover the Treasure Valley and then our resort market um, up in McCall, Idaho, which is oh, about so, two hours from the valley. So that's like your secondary market. Correct. Oh, yeah. Second right. home, ski town. Interesting. It's very interesting. Um, so I'm I'm glad you corrected me because I had a, a very dear friend of mine from college move out to Boise. Is that correct? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Or you did you say that? How, you you say are it? pronouncing it the way that I pronounced it when I came here. But when you live here, you pronounce it B-O-Y-S-E-E, Boise. Boise. Oh, OK. Yeah. They're, they're quick to correct you. Oh, that's no, no, no. I know that. But, you know, it's interesting because that's when I call them. All he says, you got to come out here, John. It's fabulous. He loves it. And what are some of the things you you, you were mentioning before that uh, Boise has uh, a lot of attractions? Can you name a couple? Sure. So we sit at 2,700 feet approximately um, elevation. So that gives us a true four season, um, a, a true four season year. I mean, we do have a, a winter, a summer and a fall and a spring. Summertime is water skiing, hiking, floating the river. If you've if you've looked up the Boise River online, you can see that um, the city allows you to float it for free with your own um, raft. If you have to rent one, you have to rent one. But biking, running, you know, it's a great outdoor city. Wintertime, we snow ski at Bogus Basin, which is 45 minutes from downtown Boise, or we go up to McCall, Idaho two and a half hours from here, or we go to Sun Valley, which is a little over three hours, all for wow. snow skiing, winter sports. Wow. It sounds really fabulous. Huh. So um, let me uh, ask you, did you grow up in uh, Boise? 35 years in Northeast Texas. I've been here, though, for the last eight years. Interesting. So how did you get from Texas to Boise? By way of Colorado and California, but basically I, I followed my wife and her career. Interesting. So how did, how did, uh, what led you into uh, real estate? 
I got into real estate in California for a couple of years that we lived there and kind of cut my teeth and learned the business a little bit. And uh, I liked the the scheduling. I liked the way that worked and how I could, you know, set my own schedule. Right. Well, That's I, what got me into it. Right. But do you find that uh, it really is a 24-7 job or do you... 20, yeah, 24-7 plus some probably. Plus some, exactly. Yeah. So that's... You know, it's like you say, oh, yeah, I'll have some free time. But especially uh, I'm sure your market is uh, like the rest of the country has taken off, has it? We have been, I believe we've been one of the top five fastest growing cities in the U.S. for the last six years, five to six years. We're we're booming. So why do you think that is besides all the attractions? I mean, where, where are these people coming from? So I think a lot of it's lifestyle. What we can do, you know, talking about the different activities we can do year round here, but lifestyle is the biggest one. Um, COVID has really jumped that up, but most of our people are coming from the West Coast. I would say 95% of the people moving into the Treasure Valley are coming from either California, Oregon, or um, or Washington, mainly the Seattle area. Are there uh, tax benefits? We do have a state income tax here but it is capped at um, 7.65%. So that's lower than what they're paying in other places. And then last year, the the state had a surplus of money, I think like $800 million or something. So they decided to lower the income tax rate this year. It doesn't sound like New York with a surplus. That's a, well, maybe now yeah. we have a surplus. But no, Two years in a row, they've had like $800 million extra and they just decided to give it back to the taxpayers. That's it. Boy, okay, I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be seeing me soon. Okay. You and a lot of folks. You and a lot of folks. <laughs> I hear you. Um, so um, what kind of advice do you give these uh, new buyers coming into the market? The new buyers coming in here, you know, be prepared. Be prepared to compete. Um, a lot of the people you're going to compete against are waiving their contingencies. They're, they're putting escalation clauses in their offers. They're giving sellers free rent backs. Uh, now, just, what is an escalation clause? What is that exactly? Um, an, an escalation clause. I don't know if they're legal everywhere in the country, but here we use them. And it's um, basically the buyer will say, I'll pay you X number of dollars for your house, but I will also pay $1,000 over any other offer you receive up to this amount. Huh. So it escalates up. In order to escalate, the listing agent has to provide us a um, a bona fide offer. They can't just go to the top and say, okay, we'll take the top. Like they show us why it helps. It's in competing. It really helps. Right. I imagine so. So do you have a lot of that? Has that been going on? Do you, uh, obviously with the pandemic, but now we're, we're getting a, you know, hopefully we're coming to some sort of normalcy, but uh, is that the case now? So we still use and we still get on our listings escalation clauses. I mean, weekly, yes. Um, You know, as far as our market stabilizing, we were, when the pandemic started, we had, and I looked some stats up for a while ago for this, we had 40 pending over a million dollars in Ada County. Today, we have 178 pending over a million dollars. That's amazing. So the, the, the housing, the pricing of houses have escalated also. From June the 1st to June the 1st, from June the 1st of 20 to June the 1st of 21, we had mm-hmm. a 46% increase in the average home. Wow. 46. Wow. That's pretty amazing. 
And you're still seeing, you know, historic levels of uh, low levels of inventory. I mean, over our average price is a little above 600 right now, but over a million dollars, we're average 19 days on market. 19 days. So is that the low end of the market now? A million dollars? Um, no, not necessarily. There, there's quite a few below a million, but, uh, you know, below 600 and that's the average. I mean, there's not many. Right, right. There could be, I, have, I had one realtor friend who told me he had 52 offers on a house, <laughs> on one house. So that was back in mid-July. You know, you just got to build a spreadsheet at that point. Wow. That's a lot of offers to go through. So how, how has it been any different uh, since 18 months ago when the pandemic started? Well, the demand from the out-of-state buyers increased dramatically um, when COVID hit, especially we were we were slow for probably six weeks, right? When COVID got started. And then after that, it uh it just took off. And it our areas have seen so much growth. Well, wow. you know, here uh, we're we're going back, it seems like we're going back again to the open houses with mask. Um, is that happening with you guys? Our open houses never really stopped. We're, we were do, we're still doing them. Uh, we all, we only had a mask mandate in the city limits of Boise. Um, there was some other mandates around, but there's there's none right now. Hmm. I would say that uh, you know it's a personal decision. A lot of people wear them. A lot of people don't. Right. Right. Understood. Um, so, what do you tell a seller that's saying, you know, the market's really hot. It's really jumped up. I think I. I'll put my house on the market. Um, but you know that the pricing and they'll say, you know, I think my house based upon Charlie Brown's house down the street, you know, it should be X amount of dollars. What do you do with a seller that's, you know, maybe, you know, being aggressive and they're telling you that they want to be aggressive? Well, you know, a few things here. Um, back up a little bit, I guess. And people, you know, people always ask us realtors or us agents, What's the market going to do in the future? And none of us have a crystal ball, but we do talk to them. And I and the sellers that I'm talking to right now, I'm giving them the advice of get to where you want to be. If you want to be in your current house, stay in your current house. But with interest rates where they are and the demand we got, if you want to move to that golf course, list your house and buy a house on the golf course. Or if you want to move up into the mountains, do that. Just get to where you want to be in, some, in case something changes in the next year or two. Now, when I'm on a listing appointment, and I'm talking to an actual seller, I will tell them to be ready. You know, do you have plan B in place? Because if we list your house at fair market value, there's a good chance it's going to sell and it's going to sell really quickly. We're seeing, we're seeing cash offers come in, close in five days. You know, I mean, it's. How do you close in five days? I mean. That's my record so far. I've done it twice. <laughs> I. Um, that's amazing. How do, how do you do that? Well, you're waiving inspections and you're paying cash and the title company just knocks it out. They put a rush on the, on the reports and get it done. So are you a state that works without attorneys? Most of ours is done through the title companies. The title, it's like Florida. See here, we have to go, we have attorneys that put the deals together. And a lot of times, you know, they're stacked with uh, other deals. So five days, you know, <laughs> That's Out amazing. here um, in uh, in Idaho, the realtors write the contracts, get it all signed, turn it over to the title company, and then they take it from there. Okay, so I'm going to ask you that crystal ball question. So how do you see the market for the rest of the year? The rest of the year is, 
I think going to be dependent upon what happens on the West Coast with COVID. If if the Delta surge and all the COVID stuff kind of dies down, I think our market's going to stabilize. And we'll see some moderate growth as a more healthy market between now and, and this time next year. And now, especially through the end of the year. If things ramp up and cases ramp up and schools get shut down and people can't go back to work and lockdowns happen again, I believe that um, we're going to see another surge. So you then, have a you have a surge now, and you you think that maybe it might even surge again, on top of good. this. I mean, you get locked down, and you know I don't live I don't live in one of those cities, but you get locked down for the third or fourth time. I think more people are going to start getting tired of that. Yep, it makes sense what you're saying. Troy Owens, how can somebody get in touch with you? Call me on my cell phone, 208-995-1735. Okay. Is it, do you have an uh, email address by any chance? I do. It's T-O-W-E-N-S at group1.com. And you spell out the one, G-R-O-U-P-O-N-E. Great. Troy Owens, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Please stay tuned because we'll be right back with my next guest after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me a Brown Harris Stevens agent, Joe Gonzalez. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great, John. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Joe, you know, because you always have a, a wealth of information. And be, But before we talk about real estate, where were you born? I was born in New York City. New York City, city boy. Yep. The first five years of my life before my parents head on out to the suburbs. Okay. So what happened in the suburbs? Uh, well, we first we moved to Rockland County. I lived in New City, New York for about eight years. Uh, and then we settled into Westchester County when I was 13. So I considered that my hometown, Ardsley, New York. Okay. And then, then from Ardsley, you graduated. You went to school, I assume, right? Yep. I went to Cornell University, um, graduated from there. Uh, at the time, my parents had actually moved to Tokyo for a couple of years. So I split time when I was home between Westchester and Ardsley and in Tokyo for those years. Uh, okay. What, what was that? Your dad doing something in Tokyo? My, my dad worked for IBM, otherwise known as I've Been Moved. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, so he he took a, an assignment. Uh, he was close to retirement at the time, and he took an assignment in in Tokyo with IBM. Wow! Did you learn any Japanese? I didn't learn much, but I will say I had a great time there. I made a lot of friends. Um, it was a great place to be. Uh, it's hard for me to believe, as my daughters now ask about someday visiting. Japan, especially with the Olympics this year, that I've not been back since that time. I'm really uh, look forward to to doing that again at some point. Yeah. Do you still stay in contact with some of your friends in Japan? Uh, so the funny thing is, um, you know, my parents uh, belong to what's called the American Club there in Tokyo. And so the, my first day there, my mom's like, uh, she's called me Joey. So she's like, Joey, 
I made a friend for you. I was like, oh, mom, you know, I'm, I'm 18 <laughs> years old. You can't be going making friends for me. And I meet this guy and he had the, you know, proverbial, literally had the tape uh, in the middle of his uh, glasses there, you know, and um, he, I did not realize, it, it seemed like he was a little bit nerdy, quite frankly, to me. So he said, hey, me and some friends are going out tonight. I was like, sure, I'll go. And I had no idea. Uh, this was like the funnest international group. We had people with us from all over Europe. We had um, obviously a couple of, of Japanese kids as well. But the funniest part about the night was we went to a nightclub. I ran and suddenly I hear, I know you. I know you. You're Joe. You're Joe from Ardsley. <laughs> Years earlier, we had had a Japanese exchange student at my school. In the beginning, he did not um, know a ton of English, uh, but I saw he was in my gym class. And typically, me and one other person would pick the teams for whatever sport. And I noticed that uh, my friend Taro would always try so hard. So I always put him on my team. He did not understand the game of football. Uh, for example, but he would listen to everything I said. So he just remembered that, that I, you know, he, he adjusted very well to our school, by the way. Um, and my first night there, he, he runs into me and we had a great time catching up. So as my crew left, uh, his, his, his people, they left before us, we went to another place. I start recounting the story. Who would think that in my first night ever in Tokyo, that I would run into somebody from Ardsley and a girl from across the bar says Ardsley. I used to live in Ardsley and when we're talking about a town, it's a one square mile town. <laughs> so that happened twice in my first night there. Oh my goodness. Now you, you said you were 18 at the time. Yes. So were you drinking sake? Uh, we were drinking whatever they put in front of us. There is no, no uh, drinking limit. In, in, at that point, this was right around the time. I had just missed the change from uh, when the drinking age was 18 to 19 to 21. So it, it was not uncommon for college kids at, at my age to uh, imbibe uh, at some point. You know, that had been typical at that, at that stage. So probably right. silly now. I don't know. Did you have any, uh, did you make any mentors at the time in Japan? Did you have any? Or was uh, interesting question. You know, I spent a lot of time with my parents. For me, I would go twice a year for three to five weeks at a time. So most of that was to spend time with my parents. Uh, I met some great people. I've met, uh, you know, I'm in contact with Taro to this day. Um, there were a few other friends that, that really, um, it, it was it was a beautiful culture. It was a beautiful place. Uh, I was so impressed with it, um, and we had a lot of fun. It was a very fun place for for college kids to be at that time. Did you develop a uh, a, a taste for sushi? I mean, do you go around like yeah. uh, in New York and say, you know, you haven't tasted the sushi that you can get in Japan? So here's I do have a story about that. That's funny you bring that up. At the time, 
I was, you know, my mother was a brilliant chef and uh, I'm the youngest of four kids. The other three were older. They were out of the house by the time I was nine. So she was happy. I was way too spoiled with food. She was happy to make me pretty much whatever I wanted any day. Admittedly, this sounds horrible today. So when I got to Japan, we weren't initially eating Japanese food. I was home from college. I wanted my mom's Italian food, chicken cutlets, and she would find the market in Tokyo where you, she could get all that. And it was just like I was home. So fast forward to my fourth or fifth trip, I get a call from my friend Don, who was uh, half American, half uh, Japanese descent. And he said, Joe, you know, we're going to have to, I know you're leaving soon and I know you want to try sushi. And you've never had it before at 18. Um, but we're going to have to do this this morning. I said, what do you mean? In the the emperor had, yeah, well, the emperor just passed away. Oh. And, and therefore, every restaurant in Tokyo was going to shut down one by one. So we set out at 9.30, 10 in the morning, I think it was. And um, close, close, close. We found a place that was open. So Don goes first. And he was an American college student as well. He tries the sushi. He goes, look, he goes, Japan, I give it a B. I go, but America, this would be an A plus. And I said, how often do you eat sushi, Don? He said three times a week. So clearly an expert. I took, but he did not start me out with a California roll or any type of sushi rolls. He got me into the, the you know, the real stuff right you away. Like uni? It, whatever it was, I suddenly started to undulate like a pet dog or cat right before you know something's about to happen i mean i it was, he was laughing so hard he was in tears and and my first experience uh is maybe a surprise today that we my family and my daughters who are young uh we go out for sushi one or two times a week wow that's that's fun <laughs> that's a great story not at the time at the time i it took me a couple more years to get back into it just curiosity. Uh, do you have any favorite places in the city? New York City? Yeah. Well, two things, John. I, you know, I um after graduating from college, I, I had an apartment in New York City as well. And um I held on to that for close to 30 years. Um and just gave it up this this year, as a matter of fact, uh, due to the pandemic, living you know, here in the Hamptons and, and utilizing the city as well, that, that did come to an end. Um, however, so yeah, there's plenty of places. Um, I always liked Validia, uh, uh, which is Lydia Basianich restaurant. That was one that was always a favorite of mine. Huh. Now, I, I, when I say, uh, I was talking about sushi restaurants, you know, Oh, sushi. Um, Lydia is like, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I was thinking sushi, but anyway, I don't okay. want to, you know, we could sit here and, and, and chit chat yep. at some point, like to talk a little bit about real estate. So, sure. um, you know, we're wrapping up the summer season is now going to be over. So did you notice, um, any difference in the rental market this year as compared to last? Well, I think there was an enormous difference from 2019 to 2020. You know, last year was our best rental season ever from a landlord perspective. You know, unfortunately, it was driven by the pandemic. Um, to my surprise, I would say that by January of 2021, um, I realized that this season was going to be even better. Um, you know, there was 
people were planning way ahead of time. And there was a fear that they would be left out of the rental market. So I, 2021, I'd say was a significant jump even from 2020. Interesting that, that you say. Now, going back to last year, did you do any um, uh, rental site unseen? I would say that in my 15 uh, year career in real estate, um, if I've had three major issues, they were all sight unseen. So that is not a preference, a preference for me. Right. Um, you know, there's always potential issues there. And, um, you know, if somebody's coming out to spend 70000 $150,000, for 13 weeks, and they live in New York or Westchester, Long Island, Northern New Jersey, it's time to make the drive, John. They need to come out here and preview uh, the listing first. Now, that was a little different last year from March to May when it was hard to get into any homes. But once things loosened up, uh, I would always say that there are going to be some issues. Um, hopefully not, but that is something to try and avoid if possible. So let me ask you a question. Um, do you think the housing market will ever slow down? Oh, you know, everything's cyclical and uh, the, the market will slow down. I do not see a Hamptons market slow down coming anytime soon. And, and part of that is we still have uh, incredible demand uh, from buyers that want to be out here. It, what we've run into is a lack of inventory. So if inventory, which traditionally increases after Labor Day, but you usually get signs that it's coming for a week or two. I haven't been seeing those signs readily at this point. But if we do get more inventory, I think the market will continue uh, to move forward at a fast pace. Right, right. Um, what about fall rentals? Uh, I heard some agents saying that uh, uh, there's not much activity in that area. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, what do you think? With the, well, uh, because there's some oh, people, you know, they'll, they'll rent, you know, to me, I think the fall is like one of the most beautiful times out here. Uh, what I've been seeing, and I've been monitoring this a little bit because uh, a number of people have come to me late July, early August to rent their homes. And clearly, um, they thought that the rental market, everybody hears it, how expansive it is and how great it is for landlords. But those for the landlords that have been planning that had their homes on the market last fall, you know, January, February, March, with time, homes have rented readily. But come August, you know, this is for end of summer, and I'll, I'll get to the fall in a second. But come August, you know, everybody's already made their choices. There's not, we don't have a lot of last second tenants like we used to have. I think that market has shrunk uh, because of all the planning. So last year, I think was really the first time we had mass use of September, October, November, and full off season rentals. Um, before last year, a typical home that I used to rent, the owner would have been happy for $6,000 a month starting in October. That same owner is getting fifteen to twenty thousand a month in two thousand twenty, and so will that occur again this year? It's happening, um, but I think as brokers and and you tell me what you think, um, it's not happened as much as we were suspecting. I think the panic is gone that people have to be outside of the city at this point, and so 
some are choosing to be, but, but there's a different feel to it this year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I have to agree with you. Um, so how can somebody uh, get in touch with you if they have any questions? If anyone has questions for me, they can call Joe Gonzalez at 917-617-0957. Again, 917-617-0957. Or they can email me at jgonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. So the initial J-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z at B as in boy, H as in Harold, S as in Sam, Hamptons with an S.com. Joe Gonzalez, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you again for your time and have a safe journey. have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.